0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Core Consults Rx Podcast. Cole and myself, and of course, our producer, or excuse me, as, as LinkedIn says, our executive producer, AJ. just given himself all kinds of titles on LinkedIn. Um, we are joined by our uh, P4 colleague, Trevor. Trevor, what's up, man? Good. How you doing, brother? Living the dream here in podcast world. That's right. Trevor's uh, on rotation with me, so like always, I was... Um, I, I suggested strongly that suggested if you want to not see me again next month, you come on on the <laughs> show. No, I'm just kidding. No, he he was. I gave him the option. He said he wanted to do it. So happy Absolutely. to have you, man. Absolutely, good to be here. So fourth year, you got what four months left?
1: Yeah, the cup how, the was, day, how was uh, that feeling? It's feeling great. Uh, yeah, like the light at the end of the tunnel is getting a lot larger.
0: What uh, what do you have left rotation wise?
1: Uh, I've got a couple AmCare's, kind of AMCARs, kinda like what we're doing. Um, is it doing diabetes or anticoag or anything, you know, in particular? I think it's hypertension and diabetes. Mostly, um, might do some anticoag, like warfarin, if they still prescribe that. Uh, oh, I've got some am cares. Uh, let's see what else. The last one I think I have is an acute care. That's like internal med, um, on a floor in a hospital, oh, uh, pretty, back in yeah. the upstate. So, well, that's
0: good. At least, at least you go out with a really easy one. <laughs> yeah, it will be fun. I mean, I'm not personally, I
2: think I took my last month off. I did too. Maybe. No, like, I definitely. Of course, there was a reason, it was to study for the Naplex.
0: Yeah. Well, and plus, back then, I don't know if they still do this, but back then, you could take the Naplex early. I think yes. they stopped that. It, Maybe was, you, it was
2: like it would change year to year. Okay. And um, my year, no, they would not let you take it early.
0: So I, I took oh. mine, I think, either April 30th or May 1st. Mm, really? So then I got, yeah, I got licensed already. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to graduation. That's <laughs> a five hour graduation. That's preposterous. Right. And so then they were like, well, but you have to go. And I was like, yeah, this piece of paper here says I don't have to because I have to be at work. And so, yeah, skip graduation. Nice.
2: I did so. not skip graduation. But uh, <laughs> I was one of the first ones to take it. I think second.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I, there's a real gamble with that. Because while it could be cool. I say
2: that anybody in my class who could verify that I didn't do it second, I'm going to take that back because I don't know. But I was one of the earlier ones to do it.
0: I think you did. I don't fall. want
2: them sitting there like, I was second. You were third or something. <laughs>
0: Nobody bully Coleplays. That's very rude.
2: <laughs> also, speaking of bullying, if my, if I, my voice sounds really low quality <laughs> compared to theirs, it's,
0: it's because, because I have
2: the lesser mic today. We gave them
0: the crappy mic today. <laughs> we're, we're in a transition period where we're getting rid of this garbage equipment that we had, and we're getting much better so upgrades. really,
2: I sound as crisp and clean as I always have. Right. Y'all just, we just sound even sound more better crisp, than you hopefully. ever. Hopefully.
0: Have. We haven't listened to this either, just like last episode, so True. it might sound crappy. And did
2: we actually even listen to Verify? Mm-hmm.
0: You know, oh, I did, of course. Okay. Dude, I, you know I always go back and listen to oh,
2: yeah, every listen word. To the whole thing, so you can edit out anything that's a problem. I
0: edit all the ums. <laughs> just kidding. I'm doing any so of that. So you got any
2: pauses?
0: I barely even, I barely <laughs> even hit the upload button. <laughs> you know, I
2: did used to listen at least to part of every episode, but that was a long time
0: Yeah, I just get too mad at myself. I'm like you,
2: yeah. moron. I think I sound dumb. Hey, why don't you
0: say? Why don't you say some more dumb stuff? People yeah. are really listening,
2: interested in you other. That's what I, I just
0: criticize myself the whole time.
2: Yeah, I can remember all the dumb stuff I say, so I definitely don't need to go back and hear it again.
0: Trevor, one time uh, Cole said that like uh, something like 130 billion people died from uh, the the flu or something from it. What the- was the it Spanish wasn't that. Spanish Spanish that sounds flu, accurate. Yeah,
2: Pan- Spanish flu. No, actually, it was the swine flu. Yeah, because the Spanish flu did kill. Like, I'm not going to say a number because I'm going to get that wrong too. <laughs> so but we not look at that number. But it was the swine flu that I over.
0: Yeah, that's okay. Next episode, he's like, okay, I may have said a somewhat (laughs) false. Just
2: divide what I said by 100, and that's what (laughs) actually
0: happened. By a logarithmic. (laughs) All right, so today we're doing things a little bit uh, different instead of having like a, a set I guess, topic, if you will, disease state to cover. Um, We are going to look at the Antler trial, um, which is basically maintenance or discontinuation of antidepressants in primary care. So this was an article that was published in New England Journal of Medicine in September and uh, basically kind of gives us some more insights when we're thinking about if a patient has basically reached remission from their depression symptoms, um, they're no longer, you know, on, Paper clinically depressed, they're no longer having symptoms, and uh, you know, do we need to continue their, their therapy, um, especially if they have a prior history of, of relapses, or can we go ahead and titrate them off and have them come off the medication? That's been kind of a debate. And
2: in- yeah, yeah, I think this trial is important because, in general, um, the as far as what, how long are we going to treat somebody with their first bout of depression, might treat them for eight months to a year. If they're in remission, we could look at tapering off. And then after they're probably after they've relapsed twice, so maybe after they hit their third episode, is usually when we think, okay, this person's going to be on these meds forever. It turns out there's not a whole lot of like long-term data on that. Um, the, it, it's the short-term studies that seem like uh, if you start to discontinue, then patients relapse and that sort of thing. So this is more of a longer-term trial, which it has its issues, but we'll talk through that. Um, but it's specifically looking at patients who have had at least two depressive episodes um, but the vast majority I think about 95% actually <sighs> had three prior depressive episodes and they're looking at uh, discontinuing their antidepressant therapy if they are stable
0: and Yeah, what mm-hmm.
2: happens there. So, I think it's important.
0: Yeah. So, and plus, we also had a request on the website, which I think actually I haven't lo- had a chance to look at it yet, but I think AJ revamped for us today. So, thank oh you, yeah. AJ. Not a boy. Um, I need but, to have a look at it. Yeah. But um, we had a request on that asking for the um, when are you guys going to review the Amler trial? So, I was no. like, right yeah, now. Like we're way behind. Watch, on, no, baby. watch yeah, this.
2: No. What's true, three months behind is way behind
0: for us. That is true. That but... being
2: said, somebody had to physically carry this from all the way across the pond to america you know so i'm sure yeah. it took like three months oh maybe.
0: my gosh the pony express is so
2: this was uh this was a uk trial yeah. in new england journal of medicine um had, do we have a lot of listeners in uh,
0: the uk uh yeah we have about a thousand
2: okay so i probably shouldn't make fun of people
0: from. The UK. yeah so guys if you're in the uk right now know that cole was making fun of you not me i'm so gonna do i'm gonna the guy with the crappy microphone just, making fun. i'm gonna apologize in advance <laughs> yeah thank thank you it's better not have apologized. <laughs> now we can start to rebuild <laughs> So we'll we'll talk, we're gonna talk through some background information, use this as an opportunity to kind of like refresh on uh just some characteristics of some of our common SSRIs and um, you know, maybe a couple other miscellaneous meds, but um we'll kinda of go into that and also gonna to touch on a couple um serotonin receptors as well, just cause uh Trevor and I've been looking at some of that stuff this month. Um so kind of touch on that briefly and then we'll jump through this trial real quick. Um So I guess you know SSRIs we're all very familiar with. Obviously, they're inhibiting the reuptake of serotonin um, into the presynaptic neuron, um, and you know that allows more serotonin in the system. And it also allows for serotonin to interact with other um, you know postsynaptic um, receptors, and they can have all kinds of various uh, effects as well as adverse effects um, on on the patient, and and really can. potentially complicate things um, or make things better depending on comorbidities. But uh, some of the real common ones are phylloxetine, sertraline, paroxetine, citalopram, s-citalopram, and then one that's used pretty much exclusively in OCD patients is um, the fluvoxamine, but it is still considered an SSRI. Um, and you'll see that uh, three of those event were used in the Antler trial anyway, so that's why we are kind of touching through these. Um, when it comes to you know the box warning that's associated with pretty much anything that's dealing with some sort of a depression or anxiety or um, some other type of um, psychic condition. Um, they typically have a box warning that talks about a potential increased risk of suicidal um, thinking or behavior, um, and that can be children, adolescents, adults. Uh, it's it's something that it's a hard kind of concept to get around because obviously we, why would we want to give a medication to a depressed person that could potentially worsen the depression or cause suicidal ideation it's not that the problem is with that is if somebody were to you know start having suicidal ideation or or especially behavior it's it's hard to directly say that there was the medication that caused it or didn't cause it um and so because there's been you know some correlation and whatnot they put that warning on there just to make sure that you're monitoring for you know, worsening of, of, of symptoms and um, hopefully the patient has a support system that uh, is kind of keeping an eye on them.
2: Right. It's a chicken right thing. Did the yeah. medication call it, cause it or were they um, predisposed to suicidal ideation? But when you're messing with neurotransmitters, I mean. Yeah, yeah.
0: for sure. It's possible, right? Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, some common adverse effects—the uh, things you typically will hear people complain about—the GI complaints. Um, sometimes you'll experience some dry mouth, um, maybe some weakness or even tremor. Uh, sexual dysfunction is the biggest one I personally hear patients complain about. Um, and then, some agents like so, and S uh, sitalopram specifically—you um, do have to be aware of the the dosing uh, because if you go over the max dose, you can greatly increase the risk of QTc prolongation. Um, fluoxetine you know, has a tendency to, in some patients, cause a little bit of insomnia. Um, whereas paroxetine has kind of the opposite; it's the most uh, thought to be the most sedating out of the SSRIs. It's also the one we like the least. Um, I'm going to speak for the group on that. But um, you know, the uh, it was even funny because the antler trial even was like, we didn't include paroxetine because it uh, kind of sucks.
2: And another thing they didn't include was Lexapro. So you mentioned that it causes. You es- mentioned mm-hmm. It causes cause prolongation, but it should be significantly less, less. than yeah. right? I, well, we'll talk about it when we get to the
0: trial, but yeah. I thought Cole cannot wait to get to this trial. I'm just Cole, ready, just man. settle down with your I'm mic ready. that we can't hear you on. But along with
2: Paxil, we consider it the worst. Also the worst of sexual dysfunction. Yeah. And probably discontinuation syndrome next to maybe flu box, but it's yeah. only for mm-hmm. flu boxing, but it's really only <clears> for ICD. OCD, so yeah. So the ones we use, Paxil is probably the worst.
0: Yeah. Um, Cole, you want to go through like some of the medications that can increase the risk of serotonin syndrome, at least in theory?
2: Yeah, so pretty much, um, so SSRIs, you're always going to hear serotonin syndrome as a concern. So what is serotonin syndrome? Basically, excess serotonin that can cause um, flu-like symptoms, ataxia, um, can be very dangerous. Um, How common is it? Not very common. Um, Any drug that increases serotonin, you'll... Being used along with an SSRI, you'll see the warning for serotonin syndrome. Um, In general, I mean, I personally don't think it's that much of a concern, especially if it's just a single drug. Once you hit the three-drug realm, you probably want to be aware of it, Uh, but especially in patients who have a history of it would obviously be a concern. Um, But it's something that's big, bad, and scary that you hear about a lot, but I just don't think is very common at all. Yeah. But, yeah, any any SNRI, um, trazodone, Anything that affects serotonin,
0: tricyclics, um,
2: tricyclics, uh, even like triptans and
0: yeah. um, dextromethorphan. Mm-hmm. You get some yep. cough medicine. Yeah, and I would say the only one that I personally like, like you were saying, unless there's like multiple drugs on the patient's profile, the only one I obviously catches my immediately, which you almost never run into um, nowadays, is the MEOIs. Mm-hmm. um Obviously, yes. that's going to be a much bigger washout period and all that. But yep. other than that, I mean, I typically, like you said, Cole, kind of just. Yeah, it's probably
2: not. Yeah, like MAOIs, especially considering they're contraindicated with SSRIs, yeah. and have to have the up period and all that stuff. Yes, those yeah. are the ones that would be more concerning.
0: So yeah, don't don't freak out if you see a major drug interaction with that one of those. It's probably not that clinically relevant. Just kind of keep an eye on. It. I
2: kind of think about I kind of think about QTC prolongation the same way a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. So Though we have a way to screen for it, and that's a baseline EKG, which is recommended with citalopram. And I would say any drug that prolongs the QTC with a patient who has a history of arrhythmia or something like that. Good idea to get a, a baseline EKG, yeah. especially if they're older or increased risk for something like that. And if you have any concern, just get or, a baseline and you can see if they're already prolonged or what it is and then you can follow up
0: on that. Yeah. Or, or if you just happen – you're getting you know CMP and some other electrolyte values and realize their um, magnesium is low, mm-hmm. that also could put them at risk for torsades, obviously. So. Which is the one that we're concerned yeah. about with the QTC. So um, just some other kind of uh, – Things to be aware of with some of the agents in this this class. So fluoxetine <clears throat> um, has, and it it's really the active metabolite, which is norfluoxetine. Um, it has the like pretty much the longest half life out of any of the traditional SSRIs. So we think of the half life being anywhere from six to nine days. And so you know one of the concerns with um, you know stopping one of these medications, which is what the main focus of what we're going to be talking about, is, um, is the basically the relapse of depression versus the potential for, you know, these depression-like symptoms that can kind of occur if you stop the medication too early. So they call it, like Cole mentioned earlier, discontinuation syndrome. Um, Fluoxetine is one that, at least in theory, I have a lot less concern about because it's such a long half-life that it's kind of got like almost like the self-taper. It's not quite how the the antler trial was set up as far as just kind of stopping it, but I do know if I have a patient where I'm worried, about, really worried about them follow, coming to their follow-up appointment or something like that, then phylloxetine is the one I may um, try to push just because uh, you know the, the half-life is long enough, so it gives us a little bit of a buffer.
2: Right. Non-adherence is not as much of an issue. It's like the warfarin of the depression. Right? Yeah. If you miss a couple doses of warfarin, you're still going to have some anticoagulation. Whereas with the um, do dox
0: yeah. Be a real problem. Yeah. Uh, also, one thing I'll mention just because I've learned this relatively recently within the last year. If you have a patient with depression and they also are having um, like occasions of like outbursts of anger, fluoxetine is the one that has the some really good data uh, associated with that. And I've actually seen this um, play out in clinic a few times now. Hmm. Um, it's It's got some uh, specific binding properties that um, kind of help – uh, with that particular state but yeah depression so plus yeah anger outbursts and team might be your guy paroxetine speaking of half-lives it's half-life's only 21 hours yep so for most of us there's 24 hours in a day so for three of those days you're already starting towards the process of having this you know drug start to leave your system um so it's one of those things that uh it's it, it Tends, if you look across the board, um, you know, in certain meta analyses and things like that, it tends to be the one that some people kind of question its true efficacy, um, com- especially compared to the other agents in that class. And so, for me personally, I tend to not use that one unless I just, patients fully stable on it ahead of time.
2: But it's a fast mover in almost every pharmacy. Because, it is. Uh, it is. Yes. That it is. Yeah, old, so is a tenolol. Old and cheap. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's really I can't. I mean, you could go through three better ones before you hit Paxil. So Absolutely, really no reason either.
0: and and it also is. Uh, um 2d6 inhibitor so the drug drug interactions which fluxine is, is as well as well as 2c19 yeah. um but the drug drug interactions are definitely something to consider as well as the side effects and all that so it's
2: less safe in pregnancy i yes. mean if i had a patient who was struggling with depression and this is what worked for them sure i would use it yeah. but no i'd be like nope yeah. i stick to <laughs> you, my guns you gotta stay depressed i go no no, no dude if it was the only thing that worked I have a podcast in Listen. general especially just starting patients there's no reason
0: to yeah, with that for sure um, one of the other concerns too is, especially you know, back in the day, was uh, if a patient has cardiovascular disease, specifically if they've had you know some sort of um, acute coronary syndrome or an MI or what have you, um, is in, we won't go into the. the Mechanism of why this worry came about. But one of the concerns was that, you know, the patients being on an SSRI could increase the risk of, like, another cardiovascular event. Um, So they did a study called Sadheart, where they uh, took patients who had had a history of recent MI um, who were also depressed. They put them on sertraline, and they did not see any increased risk of secondary, like, you know, MI or any other um, cardiovascular event. So if you are worried about that, um, sertraline seems to be uh, the evidence-based option to go with.
2: I've heard frequently that it's also like the – so is that probably – that's why it's preferred diabetes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Did you say that? No. Okay. But and
0: then, and I, I actually said yeah right now. It didn't even process what you said. I just answered a question like an idiot. <laughs> probably the best so, way to do things. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's probably what I no, did. No, I heard
2: colloquially that it's it's like the, the drug of choice of diabetes, and I didn't have a great reason for that. But sad heart makes the most sense because it has – none of them – I guess it was trying to say that none of them had that increased risk. But yeah. specifically they looked at search for them. yeah, yeah. So,
0: yeah. That's probably. Why. I guess
2: at least we have like specific data for it to say that it's not going to increase heart, heart yeah. risk. Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah. Or am I just being crazy?
0: Nah, it's that mic, dude. It's not your fault. I know. I can't even hear. We're what gonna I'm get. Saying. Don't worry, guys. We're gonna get Mike Cole's <laughs> mic fixed. He's gonna be back in full action. Have you next. ever? Have
2: you ever talked in like? Uh, it sounds like I'm talking underwater. That's what it sounds like through my headphones. Coconut right
0: holds his breath for a long time. <laughs> Now, we're going to get your mic fixed, man. I'm sorry. I feel bad for you over there. I, I look over at the sad mic and I go, oh, it's got to be terrible. <laughs>
2: we got sad heart. This is sad. Sad,
0: mic. sad mic. But am I seeing. And seen? that's happy mic in case yeah. you've got the good mic. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so good over here, <laughs> crisp. Um, so the other thing that you may see, especially for the pharmacists who are like verifying prescriptions, like in a dispensing role, um, one interaction that you'll most likely run into is the um, pl- decreased platelet aggregation interaction with you know whether it's an SSRI and like an NSAID or um, other you know meds that could, or especially antiplatelets, that could potentially decrease that um, platelet aggregation process. So. The reason for that is because platelets remember have um, they store certain like uh, mediators in their dense granule, so like they 'll store ATP free calcium, serotonin specifically, um, and that's those are all kind of um, helping to mediate the process of signaling involved with platelet aggregation. Well, platelets don't produce serotonin on their own. They have to get it from their environment. And so what happens is the um, serotonin uh, inhibitor, receptor inhibitor, um, reuptake inhibitor, sorry, blocks that transporter on the platelet that's responsible for bringing in serotonin from the environment into the dense granule. Um, Now, the thing is, clinically, that's not super important. Um, You'd have to have a pretty high bleed risk before we'd start really worrying about that. Um, But it always comes up as like, you know, mm-hmm. either a moderate, if not a major, interaction, and can you know, especially if you're just now getting into the the game um, of you know being a pharmacist and whatnot, you might see that and go, huh?
2: If you haven't gotten used to just ignoring all interaction pop-ups,
0: I I, I, I haven't. I, I yeah. can't remember the last time I even looked at an I'm just kidding. That's false. I it's don't. Work, a, I don't good. work in dispensing pharmacies. That's why I can joke like it's that. Not <laughs> good, well, even in non-dispensing, I would be still,
2: fired immediately. They still pop up a lot. I oh, yes, the, I need to pay closer attention.
0: No, I fly right through it, Especially on e am Like, no, this is a pharmacist's job. <laughs> <laughs> and the yeah. pharmacist is like, "Oh, this is the doc- this yeah, is yeah. stuff." <laughs> and then nobody catches it, so, That's yeah. terrible. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um so the last couple meds, I don't know if Cole if you want to if you want to take these or uh, whatever, but uh I will say this little quick story. Um so when I was first teaching at the PA school, I, I was kind of coming up with these slides. And, you know, when uh, Velazodone or vibrant and then Vortioxine um, or uh, Trentilix were kind of, you know, first getting talked about um, – I needed a way to kind of differentiate them because they, they are SSRIs, but they also have some kind of other activity. Um, you know, like, in, for example, Velazodone has a, is a partial agonist at um, 5-HT1A, um, which uh, we'll talk a little bit more in detail in a minute. But if you um, are trying to help a patient with depression, you want to have um, agonist activity at 5-HT1A and then antagonism at 5-HT-2A. So that's the ticket. Anyways, um, I was like, trying to figure out how I could differentiate this and I was like, oh, SSRI plus I'll make up a thing. I told my students I made that up. So one of my PA students who, like, I won't say his name because I like him a lot. He's obviously been a PA for a while now. Goes on a psych rotation and says, oh, that's an SSRI+. Plus. And the psych doctor was like, what? Who taught you that? Yeah, and he goes, oh, my farm professor said that. Everyone calls him that. And I said, his name is Mike? He tells him like my name. I'm like, dude, first of all, I never said anything about any of that. I was like, okay, that's it. Failed. <laughs> I'm going in there to change this grade. You're going to
2: retroactively
0: fail him. Because oh yeah, he I went back. Probably said you, already passed. I actually went back and I actually recalculated your grade. It turns out you got a big fat ass. You
2: called the um, what is it? The, the bursar's office. Mm-hmm. The bursar. You know, yeah, I've I've been corrected many times. I can't recall how to say it. And change an it on his transcript.
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. I said, I need, to, I need. I I got 20 bucks right here that you says you do you do an inside job for me.
2: Yeah, you'll, you just need an asterisk mm-hmm. above the plus sign. Right. And then, you know, at the bottom of the slide, it says... Uh, Not
0: real. Yeah. Listen to the words coming out of my face when I talk. Mike's,
2: Mike's vernacular. Yeah. See trash in previous slides.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Cole. So you get it.
2: Yes. So vibrant. So yeah, like you said, SSRI plus... 5-HT1A par flag. So it does have a box warning for increased suicidal thinking like um, all the rest of them. But otherwise, it's pretty much going to be tolerated the same way um, as far as having stomach upset and possible sexual dysfunctions and that sort of thing. But Trentilix 40-oxetine, previously Brentilix, they decided to confuse everybody by switching. Yeah, thanks Brentilla. Uh, What do you think that was? Marketing?
0: Because of Brentilla. They were worried about getting uh, interactions. Not Brentilla. I'm an idiot. Berlenta. Berlenta. The yeah. anti Yeah. Right. So they were worried about those getting confused. So they, like a, they changed the name. Like, like a, a
2: look-like, sound
0: Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. I remember this doctor that came in, a uh, physician, came into the pharmacy. When that first happened, he was like, why'd they change the name of the med? I said, oh, I think they were worried about, um, you know, uh, you could tell this guy was just in a stellar mood. He's just still in his scrubs. He's totally irritated about whatever happened in his day. And I said, oh, they you know were worried about look-alike, sound blah, blah, blah. And he goes." pfft. He's. I mean, how stupid can pharmacy be? I was like, "Oh man, thank you. Have a good day, sir." Yeah, I hope your rest of your day goes super swell.
2: Um, that is very interesting.
0: Yeah, he's very angry.
2: I did not know that.
0: But that guy, or the.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that guy.
0: But yeah, he's. Don't yeah, hang out with I him. I mean, I'm
2: thinking if I'm. They, they're different companies, right? What. Like the makers are No, I don't think. Oh, uh, which are those two drugs? Between Trentillix. Oh, uh, uh, I, I actually I don't know. Don't but know. I don't, say if they're different, mm-hmm. which obviously this could be easily looked up, but I'm not going to right
0: now. If only we had a website. I
2: mean, that has to cost a lot of money to rebrand. Easy. I mean, I get that it's only one letter, and really all you have to do is shave off a little portion of the B on the bottom. <laughs> it's but, true. Uh, and then, you know, add a little bit on the top. But right. even still, that's got to be a lot of cash. I'd want to sue, you know?
1: Man, maybe. You know that marketing department just went into panic mode when they yeah. saw that.
2: Yeah, oh, they said God. we had to totally rebrand, change all our labels.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, instead of Printilix, we're going to be known as Wait for it, Trentilix. People are like genius.
2: I wonder if that's ever happened before. The brand name is just just. I'm switched. sure. Really? Probably. I mean, oh, I've never heard
0: of it. I mean, I haven't either. But in the history of medicine, probably. Well, maybe.
2: Maybe. Anyways, yeah. it's the same. It's we spent 10 minutes on this. <laughs> it's, it works the same way, but it does have an interaction with uh, 2D6. So if you're giving it with a strong 2D6 inhibitor, reduce the dose. But otherwise, um, it's just adding on a little bit of 5-HT1A activity to uh, help it out a little bit.
0: And I will say too, as as far as the adverse effects, so there is still obviously the risk of sexual dysfunction. However, there was a study from 2016 that um, compared s to um vortioxetine and vortioxetine had less instances of um, sexual dysfunction and sure. at that point lexapro was kind of considered to be one of the better options to avoid that anyway yeah. and so um i have uh, that's one thing i've used vortioxetine for um at the, at the clinic was patients who were doing well on an ssri mm-hmm. but the sexual dysfunction was just becoming a real issue and so switching to vortioxetine i had i've been i've been involved with that three times and two of them to sexual dysfunction went away. One of them guys like still still problem. He's so mad. I was like, okay, two for three. Not bad. Well, for you. yeah, he's like, that's exactly what he got. <laughs> All right. Um. So I, we'll, uh, we'll kind of jump into uh, some of these receptors real quick, just to touch on them. And we'll get to this trial. Um, but we mentioned five HT one a. So when you're thinking about, you know, what we would want to cause, um, you know, activity at, or, um, we would want to block or be, you know, be an antagonist at. when it comes to depression specifically, um, remember so 5-HT1A is where we would want to have agonist activity that, that can basically help with mood and, um, anxiety and all that. And then with 5-HT2A, that is where you're going to, um, want to have antagonism because, uh, that can basically be involved with, almost like, uh, certain aspects of like psychosis and things like that. Um, so like, for example, 5-HT, um, 2-A, uh, for certain like psychedelics, like, um, LSD or something like that, they can actually activate it. They work as an agonist at that, uh, at that particular serotonin receptor. And that's where some of like the psychoactive effects, um, can sort of come from. There's obviously other uh, factors at play, but that's one aspect of it. So when we're treating depression, we actually go the other way um, Where we're looking at having um what they would refer to as like a silent antagonist or even an inverse an inverse agonist um, And that's basically like not just stopping the process of experiencing, you know, that activity at 5-HT2A, but also just doing the opposite in effect um, physiologically Um, And so the other uh, kind of important um, 5-HT receptors to think about, 5-HT3 is the one we uh, think about when it comes to like vomiting or nausea. So it's like when we give Zofran, um, that's what it's blocking. And so there's certain medications that can – kind of help in that regard, so um, vortioxetine is one of them, and so you get some antagonist activity uh, with vortioxetine, so if the patient's having GI issues with some of the other SSRIs, that could potentially be um, something you can switch to to hopefully mitigate some of those. Um, And then one of the interesting kind of things to think about, in my opinion anyway because I'm a dork, um, is the 5-HT2C. Trevor, what are we thinking about with 5-HT2C since you've heard me say it a thousand times this month? Uh, GI
1: upset. And, and and what else? Feelings of? Feelings of hunger yeah. and wanting to eat everything in the room.
0: So if you've ever dealt with someone who has been on mirtazapine, most likely you've seen that it greatly increases the appetite. Um, and that's because you get this um, basically blocking of the um, – 5-HT2C, which is, when you block that, you actually block your ability, or at least one of your uh, chemical pathways to kind of um, alleviate your hunger or feeling of hunger. So, you block that, you just kind of stay in that feeling of needing to eat, feeling hungry. Um, Actually, uh, fluoxetine also has some of that effect. So, that's why if you look at um, the, you know, the comparison of adverse effects, um, of some of the SSRIs. Philoxetine does tend to have a little bit more risk of, um, things like uh, weight gain and and whatnot. Um, and you know, what? I'll actually use that as a, uh, as a segue into promoting our, uh, sponsor for this episode uh, which is our buddy that you've heard of before uh, pearls Um, it's a great drug info app Um, pearls it's spelled p-y-r-l-s and it's uh, written by a farm d who also uh, um, you know is a fantastic coder um, which is a skill set i could only dream of doing and um, he's uh, he's doing fantastic work um pearls is definitely um getting more and more content each month and there are uh, over 400 drugs um in, involved now and he has all kinds of fantastic charts and uh, things like that including uh, certain antidepressant um adverse effect comparison charts so they have one on drowsiness and weight gain and um a few others so if you go to www.pearls.com slash core consult rx um you can sign up for a free uh it's like a free membership, um, with your email address. And then if something's not for you, you can always cancel it, but um, you'll get access to some, a bunch of free charts and some of the other things that he's created, um, just to kind of try it out. If you don't like it, you don't have to. keep going but um it's you know we're we're very grateful to have the support of uh of pearls and you know he's kind of our first like a big official like sponsor that we've had and so we greatly appreciate uh everything derek's done for us and um you know definitely uh check his check his app out it's definitely worth worth the time so Anyways, back to our regular schedule program. Perfect segue. <laughs> yeah, you see that? It just the, came uh, to me. Into the trial. I can't
2: see how long we've been recording anymore because of the way the screen is set up, so I just have to presume yeah. that this is a good time to get into the
0: trial. Yeah. One one more thing about receptors, because I know you guys are just dying to hear about receptors. Love them. 5HT7. Ah. That's one that you don't really hear too much about, um, and... it. Also, um, you can get some uh, antagonism activity with um, vortioxetine, which then can help with uh, depression symptoms and anxiety and feelings of fear, things like that. So that's another kind of caveat that uh, you have with vortioxetine. Sounds like I'm really pushing this drug even though we're not really – talking about it well, but do like they sponsor you yeah no yeah i yeah. wish yeah. have we'll yeah. talk about them more though. yeah for <laughs> sure actually because i do do actually like that one but um that 5ht7 you know, is is kind of where they're thinking um, maybe some of the added, added benefit uh, potentially comes from um so yeah just want to make sure i mention that um and, uh, you know, make sure if you are thinking that all SSRIs are created equal and that the boring medcam or farm stuff is just not important because you're going to be a pharmacist. Dude, just have a, better, a have a better wrong. attitude. Okay, yeah. please. Look it up on Wikipedia if you have to. Start grinding. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Trevor. You're welcome. All right. Unfailed. Yes. <laughs> we'll see how you do tomorrow. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You're going to do great things, man. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about this trial.
2: Yes, so I talked a little bit earlier about um, what it was, but there's one thing I want to point out at the beginning. The name of the trial is Maintenance or Discontinuation of Antidepressants in Primary Care. That's what it got Mm in New England Journal of Medicine, but it's called the Antler trial. Because it's the antidepressants to prevent relapse and depression mm-hmm. so basically what this is saying is regardless of the title of our trial when we you know make a randomized clinical trial mm-hmm. we can use an acronym to be whatever we want oh, we yeah. just have to come up with a little phrase that goes with it doesn't have to be the name of the trial
0: right oh it's going to be the core oh. console Rx trial and it's gonna be like in Dab yeah that's it what does it stand for I thought Do- Trevor. okay I failed again I Don't thought on it that Trevor the acronym okay.
2: had to be loosely based on the title but no
0: extremely loosely based. They both have the not word antidepressant.
2: They do both have that word.
0: Cool. You're very negative today. I don't like it. Well, I will you know,
1: say they didn't teach us that in school. No, not at
0: all.
2: Yeah, You only, you only get this from the CCR's <laughs> podcast.
1: So
0: much gold.
2: Anyways. So yeah. yes, this, uh, again, to reorient you back to the beginning of the podcast when we referenced this, this trial is looking at patients who are stable. They've had multiple depressive episodes in the past, uh, multiple relapses in the past. They're stable on their antidepressive. Um, And we want to see if discontinuing them is going to increase their risk for relapse. So I'm going to give the results first, and then we're going to talk about whether we can trust this trial or not, and that'll be your cliffhanger. Um, But the results effectively were the patients who discontinued the antidepressant had a two-fold higher risk of a relapse. So just before we get into the meat of it, that sounds like it would support um, not discontinuing discontinuing and continuing therapy. So let's talk about it. Um, there were four hundred seventy-eight patients in this trial. They were; uh, it was all done with primary care patients, uh, so not neurologists. It was done with primary care, and to me, that was kind of a small number. I mean, it, I guess it's not bad considering we don't have um, too many trials like this. But I'm looking a little deeper. Um, they actually screened over 30,000 patients, a huge number of patients, over the course of a long period of time. And it's actually kind of unclear as to what that period was. It seems like it was sometime in the 2010s, so to sometime in the last decade. So there were over 30,500 uh, pre-screened. 23,000 of those patients were actually invited to participate. So they said the 23,000 met the criteria that we'll talk about to participate in this trial. Only thirteen hundred of those actually said they were interested in participating, and then the final number was four seventy
0: eight yeah it 's very strange well, i'm wondering if this, we I probably can find this information like the supplemental data. we just hadn't glanced at that part yet, but um, my guess like not my guess, but my question <laughs> would be like how did you go about screening like did you cold call these people and they just thought you were like selling direct tv or something and they were like no and they just hung up on him
2: my guess is the screen was done with the questionnaires
0: yeah i mean that's what i would think which which how in the world would that many people
2: well it's because they probably gave this as more of a standard of practice for patients with depression they gave the questionnaires which we'll talk about yeah um and then thirty thousand of those patients completed the questionnaires and then based on chart reviews they were able to establish that oh these patients completed questionnaires have had this many relapses so based on that they might qualify let's invite them and then we can like Tease out whether they actually qualify or not. So I think that's probably kind of how it went. But that is just me speculating. Sounds like I sounds. Didn't look.
0: <laughs> sounds like. God, you're supposed to always look. Um, it definitely sounds like they're cherry picking. That's all I'm going to say. AJ, what do you think? It's a little sketchy. Yeah, thank you, AJ. There.
2: It's a critique. It's a critique. It doesn't mean that the data is not good, but it's a critique. Um, so the the what happened was the trial. Um, the patients were either continued on their maintenance antidepressant. We'll talk about which, one, which ones those were or they were tapered off of their antidepressant completely and continued on placebo. So it was blinded. They didn't know if they were taking their, their regular drug or if they had um, come off placebo. It's also important to note that all these patients would have had to agree that they were okay with coming off of placebo, yeah. coming off of their drugs. So I'm sure there were a lot of patients who were like, no, I don't want to. Yeah. And so at baseline, these patients were, were okay with the idea of not being on their medication yeah. anymore. So that that – I think that means something. Something to take into account, especially with a depression trial, where placebo effect is is big.
0: That's a hard sell. Hey, you remember how multiple times in your life we've taken you off this medicine and you felt horrible again? We're going to try it again, but this time it's for science.
2: It was the people who were okay with doing that 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 were normal. So um, they actually continued this for 52 weeks. So they either continued their maintenance drug for a year – or they were on the placebo for a year once they came off their maintenance drug. So it was actually a pretty long time as far as these things go, which is good. I think a year is kind of what we're looking for here. Um, it was uh, the generalizability. That's one critique because of the low number of patients. Um, and there were um, still some patients who weren't able to complete the entire study drug because they like ran out of um, I think it was searchable. Yeah, it was. They just didn't have enough of it. Like, I'm so confused as to how this could happen that they didn't just have enough and that they could give them and continue. So there's a there's a segment of patients, and I'll get to the number in a second. But there's a segment of patients who only got eight to eleven months of the study
1: drug and didn't make the full 52 weeks.
0: It's very strange.
1: There's got to right. be a better explanation to that. There
0: Trevor, to Did you look see anything about that, Trevor, when you were looking at it?
1: Yeah, I actually did in the uh, supplemental data. They. Oh, I knew it was in there. They break it down for That's why you. That's I had Trevor look um, at it instead of me. <laughs> but they basically, I mean, they intended the 12 months, but due to a, quote, limited supply, um, one patient really uh, received 11 months, and then 18 patients received 10 months, um, and then finally two received eight months of the medications. Hmm. Um, and they claim in the supplemental data that the events did not differ by the randomize, uh, randomized groups. So they claim that these differences in the supply didn't really affect their overall data but. i just can't imagine
2: why you would it was, it was zoloft right, right?
1: Hmm. yes yeah, yeah, i just yeah. can't
2: imagine why you would run out of zoloft it's first weird. of all but also if you are funding a trial on depression where this is one of the four drugs that you're looking at that you would run out of zoloft
0: they're like we should have done three drugs i knew four was gonna be I'm just, baff-
2: <laughs> I'm just baffled yeah anyways but
0: cause... i think they, did they not have the four dollar list over at one, in I know. the uk did did they they not have $4 it's list so UK? easy to get search in here
2: well probably it's like free
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. You guys you know have f- I mean. way better healthcare. Never mind. Different healthcare. Sorry, as you were. <laughs>
2: um, but, yeah, so they looked at – Zoloft was one of the study drugs. Citalopram was one of the study drugs. Um, fluoxetine was one of the study drugs. Drugs And mirtazapine. So they specifically um, – so there are some that they intentionally did not use. Mm-hmm. So we talked earlier about paroxetine. Makes sense. Don't like paroxetine. Concern for withdrawal syndromes and that affecting their data. Um, they didn't want to use Venla uh, vaccine because of concern for withdrawal symptoms. We didn't talk too much about SNRIs, but they can have kind of tough discontinuation syndrome. Um, but also because it's not really considered first line like the SSRIs um, are, that's fine. But then they an exclusion criteria was the use of escitalopram. And I, I'm seeing that because it's not a common drug in the UK. Yeah. And I, so I've got two questions. One, why is it not a common drug in the UK? <laughs> right, right. Be, because
0: the government. I mean, I'm assuming it's probably more expensive, right? A
2: formulary thing. Yeah, probably. I mean, if, if I'm choosing between citalopram and asaglippine, I'm not sure why I wouldn't go with asaglippine first from a I'm, QDC perspective, right? Unless there's something I'm missing with that. I mean, yeah.
0: I mean, I would. Ima- I would imagine it's got to be a, a funny a funding thing. Yeah. Because asaglippine, I would think, is more expensive. Th- that may be extremely ignorant. Point of view, but I mean I know that I they are so. both cheap here.
2: Thank yeah. you Trevor. Within I mean On with, within yes. a within a few dollars for a month supply, but I guess yes, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. What, I don't know what it is. But that. how somebody much does your let us know.
1: How much does your depression cost? I mean, are we talking pennies here for getting right. somebody a better medication. Yeah, obviously. obviously
2: better medication. Even, even still, whether or not it was ubiquitous in in like in the UK, I'm just surprised that they would exclude it from the trial.
1: Yeah. Right. It is interesting.
2: um, So, yeah, that's one exclusion criteria. Other exclusion criteria are obviously if they are currently depressed because these are all supposed to be stable patients. Um, If they had um, other kind of bipolar-type disorders, which you wouldn't really want to be using SSRIs for anyway for depression in those, if they were on an MAOI, um, and women who were pregnant or looking to become pregnant.
0: Um, they, and Nicole said that the, this was blinded. Um, what they did is they took these, um, basically like um, these lactose film coated over encapsulated capsules and they kind of hid the medication um, in these capsules so that everybody looked like they were taking the same thing. That's how they blinded it. Um, but... Uh, and then also the capsules were um, all identical in appearance as well as the uh, bottles that they were provided in. So the clinicians also were were blinded. Um, the titration schedules as they were trying to wean these patients off. So if they were in the um, cytalopram, sertraline, or mirtazapine discontinuation group, um, for the first month you would receive the medication that you had been stable on um, at half of the regular dose for the whole, the whole month. Starting month two, you you'd receive uh, half dose antidepressant, um, as, and then every other day you get placebo. So every you know it's alternating days: half dose antidepressant, placebo, alternating. Third month, receive placebo only. So by month. Three, you're just you're weaned off officially. Um, it's just the other group that was still on the medication. They had to continue taking the placebo so they could keep it blinded. Um, fluoxetine they did a little differently. So because of the long half life, um, the discontinuation group uh, the first month basically received um, twenty milligrams of fluoxetine and then the placebo on alternating days. And they did that right off the bat from the first month. Um, by month two, uh, received uh, placebo only. So it was a much quicker. Uh, time period to get them off or, you know, by much quicker, I mean exactly one month and, um, to get them off of the, uh, the, the medication so that they did it a little bit differently because of the half-life.
1: Um, so throw that out there. Another thing crazy with the fluoxetine, I'm um, just like supply chain, uh, the 10 milligram capsules weren't available at the time of the enrollment. So, um, the 20 milligrams and the placebos were on alternating days and they weren't able to actually go down to the 10. Um, and just kind of begs the question, if you know you're going to do the trial, why do you not have a way to get a ten milligram tablet or capsule for I mean, baffled? I'm wondering if, like, the, by the time they, this is also probably a stupid comment, but I'm wondering by the
0: time they actually, like, like really got into the thick of the study, if like that's right when like COVID started happening, everything got shut down. My very like, possible, maybe. Might. So one of our UK listeners, please educate us on what, that's what possible, happened. That's possible because this was
2: released really September 2021, probably yeah. occurred around 2019. I yeah. very well, it could have been something.
0: Yeah, so if you listen in the UK, and we've got several of them, so please educate us and email AJ; he'll get right back to you. He's our executive (laughs) producer. Um, Some other
2: kind of baseline things. Um, One critique is that it wasn't a very diverse study. Mm -hmm. Uh, Seventy-one percent were female, ninety-three percent Caucasian. Um, The scores that they used, which this isn't a critique, I'm just letting you know, the scores that they used to kind of um, measure the depression but also anxiety were the PHQ-9, which I think is good, very, very commonly used. We're all familiar with the PHQ-2, where you'll ask if somebody has, you know, little or no interest in um, doing things, or if they're feeling down, or hopeless, or depressed. There's also the GAD-7 that they used, which was more specific for anxiety. It's the General Anxiety Disorder Score Seven. Um, yeah, and so they had kind of baseline scores that people were were uh, tested on, and throughout the trial they reassessed.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's where this can get really sticky if you look at it from like the you know, the, I guess the overview, and you're just talking about depression, you know, looking at the discontinuations, that's one thing. But when you consider patients who probably had some comorbid um, anxiety, that uh, which is right. very, very common, and we saw like when STAR-D, um, you know, was a very popular, um, well-known study, when the patient had depression as well as some anxious distress on top of that, it made you know, reaching remission much more difficult. So I'd imagine the same thing would be um, – very likely with relapses as well. So I would
2: imagine too. And also, I mean, it's the scores are just, I mean, scores. It, it, mm-hmm. They're basing all the data on these two rating scales, um, and that's tough. So it, basically, we didn't get into the specifics of the outcomes, but 39% um, of the um, placebo group or the maintenance group had a depression relapse. 56% of the placebo group had a maintenance relapse. So they determined that was a number needed to harm of six for t- trying to taper somebody off of their um, antidepressant when they're stable after they've had more than two relapses. Mm-hmm. So that's compelling. Um, holes that you can poke in it, but I mean, number needed to harm of six is compelling.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and it's one of those things I feel like I – mean, If it was me personally, and I was, you know, getting, and I've never been in a situation. I'm just obviously speaking hypothetically, but um, if I were, you know, had had multiple relapses, and I was feeling good, I was feeling stable, I wasn't having the same symptoms, I feel like it would be unless I was just having significant quality of life, um, you know, disruptions because of the medication. I would feel like I would not want to come off of it. No, Uh, I
2: wouldn't either. But at the same time, when uh, you know. The, while this is a good data to have, it's probably a little bit disheartening for patients because anytime you're starting on a new medication, the obvious question is how long do I need to take this medication? So throughout the first couple of years, you can say, well, we're going to give it to you. We're going to give it a good try. If you're doing well, we can take you off. But after a couple times, I mean, this is just additional data to say you're going to have to be on this forever. And nobody likes hearing that regardless. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, I mean, I'm sure they're like, I don't want to be depressed. I'm going to keep taking this medicine. But nobody wants to
0: have a medication to hold. so AJ sent me it's just great having you back there dude um AJ sent me a paper that um, is talking about the um the National Institute of Health and Care uh, excellence, the NICE uh, guidelines from the UK um, and talking about the preferred antidepressants um, for treating general depression disorder. And they basically uh, quote a Cochrane review. Um, they concluded that citalopram seems to be less effective than citalopram, which it's a 2012. article. I'm not familiar with that one myself. Um, but it says that they also looked at the cost effectiveness of the, the treatment. So cost of the drug versus treatment benefit. In this case, citalopram and sertraline are cheaper options for the Treatment of depression, um, and it would be cheaper to buy Citalopram and sertraline for the treatment of, of depression. It was the NICE guidelines 2015. So they're taking
2: it from an efficacy and cost perspective? And cost perspective. And, I mean, okay. Uh,
0: I wasn't totally off base, I guess. Cool. Yeah.
2: I mean, I will definitely say here now, so I guess that was a long time ago, here now it's definitely affordable. It's, yeah. It's yeah. As affordable as yeah. the others, I would say. Yep, yep. To so cool. within a margin of error difference.
0: Um, Anything else with the the study or anything that we need to talk about?
2: That's the big thing. I think it's important to remind people that the the placebo, usually you're looking for, um, usually when we're looking in depression studies and we're looking at depression meds, we're looking at how effective is it when you're getting somebody on something. So this is a little bit different, but I think it's always important to note that the placebo effect can be very strong um, one way or the other. In this case, for, you know, the negative, right? So these patients were stable, they continued on their maintenance therapy, and there was still a thirty nine percent relapse rate um with the maintenance drug. Yeah, absolutely thinking that yeah. they might have come off of their drug, right? So that was yeah. that was almost the a placebo effect to the opposite. Nocebo. It's the is right, nocebo effect, I suppose. So um it, yeah, it, that it, is interesting it plays an important role yeah. in depression, it's definitely something that needs to be considered.
0: Absolutely. And you know, and I think Cole mentioned this too, but just to kind of reiterate too, when you look at the doses that they were using, it's almost like half doses for what we typically would, would push them to, you know, um, sertraline 200 milligrams would be the the goal dose if they can tolerate it. So it, it also could be that they were on not effective doses. They were, they thought their symptoms were in remission, but maybe it was just kind of like just enough to keep them, you know, you know, as far as their, their PHQ nine or whatever their rating system was just enough to keep them in remission. But, we should have pushed it a little harder for a little bit longer, and then maybe have better results coming off of it. Who knows? But that's why they say that this uh, the general um, generalizability of this study is kind of limited to the general population.
2: You might have mentioned it with the methods, but the, did they adjust their doses to keep them on a maintenance dose that was specific to what they
0: wanted, or did they? I think they started. It was like with like vlog They were on the 20 milligrams was the starting dose.
1: Yeah, they continued their start or their maintenance dose if they were in the arm of uh, continuing. So the they, therapy. no
0: matter what,
2: continued their maintenance dose, and they still only ended up with four drugs with the exact same doses.
1: That's I think that's what yeah. I think that's why they had such a hard
0: time. Another reason why they had such a hard time enrolling patients because I think they were like they wanted because they they wanted all the citaloprams to be 20 milligrams so they could all be compared. So interesting. Not. So they Forty had to for cut, one and which 20. they
2: didn't include that in exclusion criteria, but I guess they had to cut anyone who wasn't on those doses even
0: if they right. had all other criteria. Because that's why it says taking this this daily dose. It's unusual. Yeah. It's a very strange study. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's I'm not super surprised by the results by any stretch of the imagination. No, no, but, I mean this is what I um, this is
2: I mean this fits in with like what we've been taught yeah. and teaching and things like
0: that. Yeah, right. And, yeah. I definitely I definitely would be curious to see um this done again with maybe a little bit different methods. Yeah. But I also have no idea what I'm talking about. So <laughs> there's also that. What else boys? Anything? Oh,
1: yeah. Not to be a Debbie Downer, but I just I think it's crazy how um, you know, we're comparing the maintenance group and we still have a forty percent relapse rate. Um, yeah. it just kinda shows this, you know, depression and, and anxiety and stuff is still so you know, not completely understood uh, that we're doing these trials and finding that even though we continue these medications for patients, 40% of them are still going to have some kind of relapse in depression. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting. And that, I mean, that's a
2: higher, that's an even higher rate than somebody who met, I mean, if, if for somebody who met remission at that point and had been stable for however long they had, I can't remember how long it was, maybe a year. Um, that's still a bit higher rate for somebody who continues their maintenance drug, so I'm sure the dose has something to do with that, and the thinking that oh, maybe I'm coming yeah. off of my drug. That, yeah. that's the thing.
0: I think that's probably a. That I do. mean, because if you think how effective like cognitive behavioral therapy can be, even without medication, the opposite's also. I mean, if your thought like you know you start getting the fear and anxiety of like oh my gosh am I starting to get my symptoms back and I'm not on my drug anymore, I mean that's gotta not and be. And that's
2: four people who agreed to enroll. Yeah, so they must have been at least somewhat gung ho about coming yeah. off of their drug. So that's yeah. I don't
0: know. I feel like that um, definitely had to have played a factor.
1: I will say that I remember reading in the supplemental uh, data that they they found um, that most patients that were on the placebo were able to guess. They they screened the ones that were on placebo about um, guessing at the end of the the completion of the trial. Were they on the the maintenance or placebo? Um, and they had an overwhelming majority that guessed correctly that they were on the placebo. So huh. um, it's like, well, <laughs> I feel horrible, so <laughs> yeah. probably on the placebo. Right, right. That's, that's very, interesting.
2: That's very. That's very cool. I didn't realize
0: they did stuff like that. Yeah, supplemental data. It's so important. It's key. It's key,
2: man. It's still, yeah.
0: Good job, Trevor. That's what I'm here for, baby. Whew. So glad you you saved it at the end, dude. <laughs> Thought for sure you were coming back to see me next month.
2: <laughs> Brought it all together.
0: <laughs> all right. So thank you guys for listening. Um, and uh, I hope you guys are. Uh, you know, enjoying the uh, multiple camera angles and all that stuff, if you haven't seen the YouTube uh, version of our podcast, make sure you check that out. We're going to hopefully next step uh, add some some live uh, action while we're doing that as well. Maybe take calls, things like that, as if someone's actually going to take the time to call. Um, it's wishful thinking. It's fine. We'll get zero calls you hey, tell your friends to call oh, and um yeah you'll call from back there in the room but um yeah thank you guys so much uh for for sticking with us and especially while you know Cole's microphone's so so crappy today <laughs> but um yeah we really appreciate it. if you have any questions comments concerns whatever make sure you send us an email and we will do our absolute best to uh to get um, in touch with you, like I, we've been getting a lot of uh, messages lately, so I think I answered like 40 messages on LinkedIn the other day, and I was like, I was very proud of myself, and then I realized I had a whole bunch
1: more in my email. I was like, never mind, I gave up. like a C list celebrity kind of number, right there, right? Uh, I, don't I don't know if, about that. I, yeah, thank A-C you. c plus, maybe. C-plus. Uh, d- no, yeah, he's got a bad rep with the plus. What's, what's below G?
0: Is, is there <laughs> is there an E list celebrity? <laughs> Where like six people know who you are because they live in your neighborhood? Um, but uh, yeah, no, sorry guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, make sure you check out part pearls um and also you know pearl derek from pearls thank you thank you so much for sponsoring the podcast we really appreciate the support make sure you check out our patreon um if you want to get into contact with us with via text message um text 415-943-6116 and we'll see you guys in the next episode have a great one